Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans, coming to you weekly from New Orleans. Xin chào quý vị. Đây là bài Vietnola, chương trình phát hành về cộng đồng Việt Nam ở New Orleans, mỗi tuần từ thành phố New Orleans. Today on the show, we'll have a conversation with our guest, Kathleen Carlin, adjunct professor at Tulane University in the Asian Studies Department. Her work focuses on the cultural anthropology of Vietnamese Americans. Kathleen Carlin has been an active member of the academic community focusing on the Vietnamese community in New Orleans. She was a participant in Kativa Nola Project, Katrina Impacts on Vietnamese Americans Living in New Orleans, and has published on a variety of topics, including Tet traditions in New Orleans, community leaders in the Vietnamese community after Katrina, and the disproportionate number of Vietnamese American valedictorians. Today, she joins us to discuss her work. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Kim. Thanks for inviting me. I see that you span a, a, a broad spectrum of topics that you like to research. Uh, I noticed that your background, your first exposure to the Vietnamese community was working with the Vietnamese Americans in 1977. Yes. Uh, can you talk about that? Well, it, in a way it was by accident or you can say it was foreordained. I was a graduate student. I needed a job and I, a friend of mine was um, had just been appointed the the uh, Vietnamese refugees were just arriving in seventy six late seventy six they had been in refugee camps especially in Fort Chaffee and New Orleans had volunteered to take in a few I I didn't know that at the time I just knew that it was in the news that they were arriving and a friend of mine had been hired to start a small ca- um, nursery school for Catholic charities. Mm-hmm. And she, I said I was interested, I was looking for a job, and she said, well, we have some jobs. I had gotten my teaching certificate to teach high school English, and then I decided that I didn't want to be a high school English teacher. <laughs> but Too many you know, teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> but that helped. Or at least it helped me on paper. Actually, it didn't help me teach three-year-olds who were learning their first words of English. Right. But um, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I was at a Vietnam nursery school for a year, and the women I taught with, that I worked with, were were fantastic. I was an anthropology graduate student, so it gave me some field experience while I was also getting a salary, and that was a combination that was hard to beat. So were most or all of the children that were in this nursery school Vietnamese? Oh, absolutely. It was, okay. it was, comple- it was completely far Vietnamese children who the Catholic Charities was sponsoring. Uh, they almost all lived in Versailles, mm-hmm. and they had just arrived within a few months. Okay. Uh, some of them were still arriving, not from Vietnam, because by then, you know, sure, the war. Sure, right. But, but out of refugee camps. Um, so you were exposed to children who had been in very a very hostile situation by the time they had re- reached you as far as moving, you know, leaving a war-torn country and then being in refugee camps for approximately two years or more. And then there they are 
in Louisiana with you in a nursery school. Right. And, and were you bilingual? Are, are you oh, bilingual? No. Okay. I have, I have tremendous respect for the Vietnamese language, and I have studied it. And my <laughs> Vietnamese is so pathetic that I beg you not to try to okay. get me to talk on radio. No, I, I, I only I wasn't trying to embarrass you. I just wanted to get a little context. Yeah. Here you have these children who didn't even speak the language. Well, they had, um, it was really an ideal setup because... It was a very enlightened nursery school, and they had 20 kids in a class, four adults, uh, one Vietnamese teacher, one American teacher, one Vietnamese aide, one American aide. Mm-hmm. And the Vietnamese teacher and I, well, she had been teaching in a very good elementary school in Saigon for mm-hmm. 25 years. I had not been around a three-year-old since I was, you know, three. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I learned a tremendous amount from her. She was a wonderful teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and the kids were delightful. And the school only was there for a year. They closed it. But the two of us were hired to work together as a team with, uh, well, Orleans Public School System discovered that they really needed ESL teachers. Uh-huh. And so we just moved when the school closed we moved to teaching in the public school system together okay and I continued teaching in the public schools as an ESL teacher again were for years for and the the student body you were working heavily with was it Vietnamese or was it a variety my classes were I think the first nine or ten years were a hundred percent Vietnamese of course you know um after a while I I remember one year there was a, a Hispanic boy Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> in a sea of Vietnamese yes. Americans. Yes, so so we would all practice, you know, English and Vietnamese, and then and then and Carlos. <laughs> How do you say this in Spanish? It's really charming. <laughs> that sounds very sweet, actually. Well, it was, mm-hmm. and and they were delightful students. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you were kind of on the forefront of what ESL was becoming with respect to the the influx of Vietnamese Americans. Oh, definitely. This is before they even had ESL certification. The fact that I'd ever had a class, hmm. an education course, you know, made me special. Uh-huh. But um, so ESL kind of developed as, as I was learning how to how to teach. And, um, and I moved uh, from elementary schools. I moved up to the high schools. I was at uh, McMain and mm-hmm. at O'Perry Walker for mm-hmm. several years. And when my daughter was born in 1990, I took a job teaching at e- ESL at Delgado Community College, which I want to tell you, everyone who's listening, is the best ESL program in the city. That's great to hear. And um, so... So you had... And a variety of exposure to Vietnamese American students at all ages. Yes. Then you decided to uh, publish a paper on Vietnamese American valedictorians. What were your conclusions? Well, I'll tell you um, how that started. Well, it was cert- it's no surprise anybody who looks in the newspapers in May for for the last almost thirty years. There are always notably several Vietnamese names among the valedictorians for the various high schools. And um, several the high schools that I was working with or working at, um, this was often the case. Mm-hmm. 
not, you know, of course not in 1977, starting somewhere in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was like late 1980s and 1990. I was, I, I was also getting my doctorate at, at Tulane during this time in anthropology and... Uh, and it took me a while because I was working full time. Anyway, one day I was at the UC at Tulane. I walked in, and there were there were a bunch of little um, young women, and one of them ran over to me and said, "Miss Carlin, do you remember me?" And I was going, "Ah," uh, and my foo. <laughs> Which is my sister's name, okay. and not well, an incredibly uncommon name in no, the Vietnamese. Right, and well, I remember. <laughs> I happen to remember my Vu, but she'd been in the fifth grade the last time I saw her, so she'd changed. Uh-huh. You know, but but now she was at Tulane. In fact, she was on a scholarship to Tulane mm-hmm. and had been valedictorian the year before at mm-hmm. O. Perry Walker. I'm sorry if any if my if you're listening, I think it was your sister Lon. Sorry, Lon Vu, <laughs> but. <laughs> And um, and I said, well, let's talk. Let's get together. And it was really nice to hear how she was doing and how well. And um, and the number of other valedictorians that year or the year before, the year after, at the same schools. And I just interviewed about four of them, you know, four Vietnamese valedictorians in a row from the same neighborhood trying to see oh that is so funny even from the same neighborhood well, well th- from woodlawn uh-huh and um and woodlawn is what the west the bank west bank. community okay. yeah okay because um that's before i mo- for the most part i was teaching on the west bank okay with the woodlawn community right i i met one of my old students mm-hmm. and she was valedictorian and that sort of developed into a well, how is this happening? How does it happen so regularly? Can I talk to a few of them and see if there's any similarities? Uh-huh. And um, and I presented two papers on this topic at, at conferences, but then after that I, I got involved in some other. So what were your conclusions? Well, um, well, I tell you, I want I want to tie that into the Kativa stuff because I think there's similarities. One thing was that um, it seemed like the students knew that it was hard work. They didn't sit around. They, if they had actually consciously said, someday I'm going to be a valedictorian, they didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. They, they just thought that studying, they enjoyed it, they wanted to do it, and it was hard, and they did it. It wasn't like, I know too many students um, different nationalities who kind of feel like, you know, it ought to come to me effortlessly. It seems to, other people don't seem to suffer. Why, I don't want to suffer. They, they didn't talk about suffering, but they certainly didn't expect it to be easy. You know, and it was the effort as much as the goal. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've got to sit here and I've got to do it. About how big were your pools, your interview pools for these two papers typically well I, like I'm saying it's just fi- you know valedictorians this is a very finite set and a few mm-hmm. va- Vietnamese valedictorians who who I can find and will talk to me so it was very small mm-hmm. I mean that was it, it wasn't anything that percentages were going could be based on I was just looking for themes that you know held together mm-hmm. um, also you had to start mathematically if 
anybody who wants to be a valedictorian of a high school, you've got to start um, young. You've got to you've got to wind up being in the honors classes and the AP classes mm-hmm. so that you'll have those extra points on your GPA mm-hmm. so that ultimately you will be one hundredth or a thousandth of a of a decimal point ahead of the other kids in that group. Okay. So let's bring us to your work with the Kativa study and you're <laughs> okay. saying that there's some overlap yeah. of okay. themes. Yeah. Um, well, Mark Van Landingham mm-hmm. was also a guest on this show. I was going to say, and mm-hmm. I think he spoke very well explaining the over, the whole Kativa research program. Um, I was invited to take part in it when it had been going on for its third year, when they had been collecting specific data, physical and mental health, for uh, respondents in the Versailles community, um, and how they had, how they, you know, their health prior to Katrina, and then a year after, two years after, three years after Katrina, and um, it was suggested that they um, expand the people that they that, that they were getting in the information they were getting by interviewing other people within the community to get a broader picture of the community pre and post and um, the leaders, the community leaders, their take on the situation mm-hmm. and what had changed, what hadn't changed, why it might have changed, that kind of stuff. So I and Comtron and um, my boo interviewed my doe. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm <laughs> thinking of my ex-student. My doe, mm-hmm. yes, we interviewed. Also from the School of Public Health, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And um, what we found, the themes that I found, that, that we found, um, one thing I think that was noticeably no different was um, what the Vietnamese were comparing the hurricane to. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I would say the vast majority of New, Orleans, New Orleanians were, I don't know, y'all can tell me if this is how. Were you here for I it? was not here. You didn't miss much. <laughs> um, but um, I think almost everybody in the city felt like it's going to move. It's got No, no, no. Yep. Beforehand, it's going to turn. Right, they right, right. always turn. Every single one of them turns. The last one that hit the city, and it didn't really hit the city that hard, was Betsy, mm-hmm. which was decades ago. Right. You know, so it's going to turn. So when it hit us or, you know, kind of gave us a very heavy blow to the side, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, my God, this has never happened before. What is going on? This is terrible. And then, of course, the levees breaking made it a true disaster. I'm not. I am not belittling the disaster, but um, a number of the Vietnamese people that we interviewed said, you know, Vietnam got hit by a hurricane six times last year. (laughs) It's like, yeah, this this was a bad one. It's like we we expected it. Right, right, right. Um, Prepare for disaster. Yes. and really expect exactly. the worst. And if you don't get the worst, then you're quite fortunate. Yeah, almost. it's just part of life. I right. mean, it's things are good. 
things can be difficult. You know, if you're alive, expect to encounter difficulties. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know that was a public health study, and there yeah. was a lot of measures of uh, stress levels. Mm-hmm. What component were you involved in since your background is primarily? Uh, well, I was ESL. involved in um, attitudes in uh, community, the community organization, the, a- the attitudes people had more the, uh, the touchy-feely qualitative part. That was my part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the public health people were much more involved in the mathematical quantitative assessments. Mm-hmm. And then we tried to put our things together. Another thing that um, came up over and over again was a, a question of identity of not only the the family support this you know the the involvement and the support that people got from their family from their community from their church okay but also several people mentioned very specifically about this made them think of stories they'd heard their parents and their grandparents talk about mm-hmm. and in f- okay one of my favorite interviews no names because I don't have her permission necessarily but but she was kind enough to give us a great interview and she was saying she, she was sitting in a motel room with her parents and her husband and children watching the TV hearing about the levees breaking and going oh my god oh my god what are we going to do oh my god this is terrible you know how are we going to you know well we da, 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 da. and her mother said what do you think we did in 1975? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we we'll left do, we'll our homeland it's, for war. So. Right. And, and, and she was, and you know, we'll get through this. And and this woman said she thought, oh God, she thinks we're in, my mother thinks we're in a foreign country. She said, <laughs> and she said, Mom, it's different here. Here you need money. Which, <laughs> and her mother said. You don't think I thought about I, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, her mother said, when we left, I had a change of clothes for you and your brother. I didn't. I w- was wearing the dress that I was wearing. We had nothing. Listen to me. Yeah, I always get emotional about this. Um, you know, we got through that. And we're going to get through this, too. Mm-hmm. And the woman I was interviewing said, you know, I never said thank you to my mother for that because I've thought about it ever since then. But I, I thought, she's right. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been getting through this before we'll get through it again. Right. And I think so. And I heard that, t- that. I love that particular interview. But I heard that type of thing so many times. Right. And Very. The, the, the frame of reference is quite... Uh, extreme mm-hmm. for a lot of you and also Americans. And people identified and kind of, I think, felt like, oh, now, now I'm part of this. Because I can't say for sure, but I think maybe sometimes people, younger people have sort of said, oh, yeah, I, you're telling the story again. Right. Well, of course we're yeah. annoyed with our parents' but, story. But, th- <laughs> but this is called identity updating, where something that you've heard or you've experienced in one way, you get older you experience it in a different way or you're in a different status and you go, oh, 
this is what they were talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. And you sort of move, you're sort of stepping up to the plate and saying, well, now, you know, now I, I was a child and now I'm an adult, or mm-hmm. I, was, I was a student and now I am a teacher, or I was... You yeah. seem you seem very drawn towards the first gener or the second generation of Vietnamese Americans, the ones who are learning from their parents' history. I I'm intrigued by the work you did in the children's or the was it youth reader. Yeah. Um, and that actually brings us to our next seg- segment, Kim's Kazao, where I like to look at a proverb that is quite common in Vietnam and talk about what it means for us uh, for Vietnamese Americans and basically how that translates in this community I'm going to pick the one that you selected as the title of your work and it'd be great if you could share with us what that work was about Oh, okay. So I will say in Vietnamese, how's that? So you you were nodding, you were nodding your head. Like, please please don't don't make me speak speak Vietnamese on the air. Um, So the segment we we like to call it Kim's Gazao. It's more fun than a fortune cookie and less confusing than Confucius. And today it is Ung Nuk Nhung Nguyen. And can you translate that for us? When drinking from the spring, remember the source. Mm-hmm. Takes many more words and syllables yes. in English. <laughs> and talk about the content of the story, and also just explain a little bit what that proverb has, what you've learned it to uh, mean. Well, the way I understand the proverb is to not only appreciate what is what you what is happening, what you have, but realize where it comes from. And most especially, it seems like this is very often in context of your family, your heritage, mm-hmm. your your village, you know, the, the people before you and how they have given, provided the things that allow you to drink that water, eat that food, have that education, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that story in particular uh, the story well the story was really just a fictionalized version of the types of stories that we heard from people over and over again we wrote it as and I have and to say the we, we? the yep. we is um, Alex Prebe, uh Kam Chan and Mai Do and I together oh and Lot Nguyen yes can't forget Lot um and was Dr. Van Landingham involved in that He as was well? the director. He was the okay. one that said, good idea. Why don't you do that? <laughs> okay. How's it coming along? Okay. Yeah. And um, so we had sort of thrown together various ideas, and uh, actually Locke provided the story, the basic storyline, which if you read it is really, I think, a common story of ask people about when did you first hear that the that – the, uh, that Katrina was going to hit us, mm-hmm. and what did your family do? Um, and so, so it's about um, it's about a girl in junior high who's living in Versailles, comes home one day, and her mother is packing the car and buying bottles of water and running around with the rest of the family, and they go to the church meeting where the church leaders say, yes, everyone should evacuate, and they go to Texas and listen to the terrible news and have a conversation very similar to the one I was trying to quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, her mother and grandmother have that conversation, had to put that in, thought it was wonderful, 
and um, and come back and begin to clean out their flooded house and um, well, you know, we've got the landfill. It's really just a fictionalized story of what happened to Versailles. What truly happened. Mm-hmm. And that was published in this reader called Environmental Health Narratives, a Reader for Youth. And when was this put out? Mm, fairly recently. Um, now I've forgotten. 90, no, not 90, uh, 2012. Okay. So it's recent. Great. That sounds, I think that's wonderful that y'all decided to put that, compose it into something that youth can have access to and reflect on. Well, I hope I hope some of the youth do read it, and I hope, love to hear if anybody re- reads it and goes, yeah, prob- probably they'll tell us that we got something wrong, but we did, <laughs> our, we really did our best. And this is available on Amazon? On for, Amazon. For those of us who are not assigned to read it in our, in our classes? Well, so few students take public health classes at mm-hmm. the secondary level so mm-hmm. and do you have any before we go do you have any future projects or publications you're working on that that you want to share with us um right now i'm not really well we're, we're winding up the kativa project mm-hmm. and so there's going to be one final very big paper mark is working on a book but the rest of us are just trying to work on papers to pull together um all, all that we've learned in, in a few short papers. Um, I'm before Katrina. Several of us had been working at Versailles to start a cultural center, to because the the heritage that the community, that well, that the whole Vietnamese community in New Orleans has and has brought over is 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 unique and fascinating and so many of the elders are are dying mm-hmm. and we need we really need to interview them to preserve their oral histories mm-hmm. and uh, and to have so as much as possible on record for the community and also for the city we had we had started organizing a cultural center mm-hmm. called that we called the Hung Vung Cultural Center. This was through the uh, MQVN yeah, CDC. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And then along came the, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting Katrina and the BP oil spill mixed up. Along came the BP oil spill. And at that point, the MQVN CDC just s- said stop everything, and they've been focusing on the BP. On that. Mm-hmm. But now things are beginning ca- to calm down. So I was talking to Tuan Nguyen. Uh huh. Um, the executive director exactly. of Mary Queen of Vietnam, about CDC. Mm, two months ago, mm-hmm. and we were both saying, "Well, it's about time to see if we can get the uh, the cultural center to get it going again, get a grant or two, get some action and Great. people involved." So, I'm hoping to uh, to be working on that, maybe Excellent. especially in the spring. Excellent. That sounds great. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I think all of us are looking forward to seeing that cultural center really ignite and thrive because as I, I agree with you. There's such a wealth of culture and relationships in that community. It would be wonderful uh, if people like you can help us preserve it. And I'm going to work on my Vietnamese. <laughs> I bet you're being shy. I bet it's better than than no, you're it's, it's you're leading on. Right now. <laughs>
<laughs> well, that's Vianola for today. Thank you so much for joining us at home, at work, on your phone, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And a special thanks to today's guest, Kathleen Carlin. Our show is produced by Kim Vu and Grant Morris. Our technical director is Chris Keogh. The web, Our web guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Air Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We are at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True the Game, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website at itsneworleans.com. Vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of New Orleans. If you'd like to be a guest on Vietnola, we'd love to have you. Drop us a line. You'll find all the information on our website. Vietnola is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For everyone here at Vietnola, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of Vietnola. And until then, I'm Kim Vu. Thank you. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.